Well, that's what you look like when you were asleep. What? Hey, oh, 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 hey, Rob. So you made it into the dream. Yeah, I'm here. It's wow. It's weird in here. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm just relaxing here, you know. Oh, my God. I didn't need to see that. Why? Why is Tom Atkins here and naked? Well, I was hitchhiking. You know, this is my dream. And he picked me up. And we came back here and, you know, I was showing him my sketches and, you know, one thing led to another. And so, you know, that's and you're anyway, it's my dream. You're not here to judge my dream. You're here to help me with my nightmare, you're, sir. You're totally wearing a Jamie Lee Curtis wig, aren't you? I kind of am. It worked to my advantage this time. <laughs> OK. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. So speaking of the nightmares, like what's going on? What can I help you with? I just it's reoccurring and I can't. It's horrible. It's horrifying. I'm losing sleep. I can't function during the day. Well, you know that because you spend time with me. It's just, it's it's getting to me, Rob. And I, I, I just, I need to face it, but I can't do it on my own. I need your help. Okay. Well, that's why I'm here. I'm here for you, buddy. All right. Um, so no. what do we do? Like, how, how do we face this thing? Uh, I just, I don't know. You're, I, I thought maybe you had some ideas. I, they, I don't know. We'll just... I don't know. We'll figure it out. I guess we'll wing it. You know, we we do everything flying by the seat of our pants. So why should this be any different? <laughs> any different at all. Um, that's like Tom's second little trooper, if you know what I'm saying. He's got like a lot of energy in him. Oh, my God. I'll be right back, Tom. I'll be right back. Uh- oh, OK, I'll get that. And uh, we're going to we're going to face this one together, my friend. All right. OK, we'll do this head on. Holy shit! Oh, that's creepy. That as heck. that mm. that scared me. I mean, that like snake, human hybrid, whatever yeah. the hell. It's par for the course around here. You know, I think it's like a phallic thing or whatever. I don't know. So, I'm sure that like Freud would have a field day with me. So that's uh, not what you're afraid of. No, sir. What scares me is standing right behind you. Well, the candle is called This Smells Like My Vagina. <laughs> Holy. That yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow with her vagina candles? Scares me every time. Alex Gardner has a unique talent. And even he doesn't know what it can do. No one has ever done it before. No one has even conceived of doing it before. Going into another person's dream. You might have to see that, David. He is about to enter a world that no one has ever seen before. The world of your dreams. I was under the impression we were conducting scientific research here. You sound as if you don't approve. I think you're going to be a real challenge to work with. Oh, wait a minute, Doctor. I haven't agreed to anything yet. There's somebody in my dreams. Who? An awful, ugly monster. This kid is being eaten alive and nobody gives a damn. Whatever his demon is, I have to help him face it. There's nobody there. Are you sure, Alex? He's always there. But Alex will make a discovery more frightening than any dream. What's going on? I had to let you know you're in danger. You want my secrets? I just want some advice. I'm afraid he has to be killed. Signed some men to you. But I think I should deal with this on my own. And now, his only way out is to go back in to the dreamscape. Oh, 
Kate Capshaw, Dreamscape. When you close your eyes, the adventure begins. All right, all you Midnight Mask Creature cast fans. Uh, we hope that you've been sleeping well, but just in case you haven't, we've decided to cover Dreamscape from 1984. It has a runtime of one hour and 39 minutes, and it's PG-13 rated. This is directed by Joseph Rubin, uh, who brought us The Stepfather from 1987, Sleeping with the Enemy from 1991, and The Good Son from 1993. Now, this pick was Rob, my always awesome co-host. And then, Rob, when did you first see this? Oh, my goodness. I want to say it was probably 86, so I was about 11 and at my peak uh, movie rental phase. Ah, so it was a rental. Yeah. So Ooh. me just like perusing the shelves of the local store. Um, like it's the same place where we got our VCR. They had a deal on like movie rentals. So I just every week I would go there and just grab a bunch of VHS tapes. Oh, that, that's cool. Yeah. Now, was I guess I'm assuming it was the cover that probably drew you. Yes. It, it looked like a comic book and it looked really cool. It it had okay. I hope this makes sense for people. To me, it's done in the same style as like the Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, and also um, Big Trouble in Little China. The cover, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, or King Solomon's Mines. It's got it's like a very actiony cover. Yeah, it's like super eighties. Very much so. Yes, very very stylized of of that time. Mm -hmm. Very much so. Uh, now I saw this Friday. <laughs> you saw it Friday. <laughs> You've never seen this movie until Friday. Never seen it. Knew it existed. I just had never had a desire. Um, so actually Joseph Rubin, like I was talking about, I love the stepfather. Mm, yeah. He I remember that. that. And I love, I love the good son. That's the one with Macaulay Culkin and yeah. Elijah Woods. So creepy. love that one. Yeah. And then now I will admit that I was very disappointed in the sleeping with the enemy with Julia Roberts because I thought she was murdered by her stalker hus ex-husband, but yeah. she wasn't. So okay. I was disappointed. Yeah, I was. Is that it. the one where he tries to drown her in the tub? I believe so. Yes. Okay. Then yeah. I did see that. I just remember leaving the theater mad as hell because she lived. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so I did not see this till Friday. So it was it was uh, kind of fun watching something I did was super unfamiliar with. Yeah, it's um, so strange that you. It's like very rare for me to have seen. Like usually it's the other way around, where I see something either Friday or Saturday, and you've already seen it. Yeah, I can tell you why this one held no um, interest for me because it just looked kind of like a, uh, like a. Not little kids, but like a, a movie targeted for younger audiences, which it's not. But back then, that's what it looked like to me. So I just like, no, I'll pass on this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, now, it does star uh, Dennis Quaid, who how different would the film be if it had been Randy Quaid? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> all I remember Randy Quaid from is really National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Right. But I want like so there's some scenes where like, you know. Dennis gets out of the shower or he's rocking those black underwear that like everyone wore in these movies back then. But I want like Randy or Randy Quaid, like getting it on with, you know, Kate Capshaw on the train. <laughs> That's what I want. Those scenes. He's in his tidy um, whiteies and he's vacuuming like the snow or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's what I want. Uh, but now, so it stars Dennis Quaid. Now a couple of things that I want to mention from this actor, 
back in 78. Now I was like a TV kid as it was. And so I got a lot of my horror movies that were made for TV horror movies. Mm -hmm. And he did, he was in one called, are you in the house alone? Which that one's a really creepy one. I love that one. And then now I loved Christy McNichol. You may not even know who I'm talking about, but um, I love the actress and he was in. Okay. And then there was a actress who had like one hit song. It was called the night. The lights went out in Georgia. And it was Vicki Lawrence, but they made a movie based on the song. Hmm. And Christian McNichol was in the movie, and so was he. And I distinctly remember he had a butt scene. And I watched that movie again and again on cable just because of that butt scene. <laughs> you know what? Um, this movie actually, before it got its PG-13 rating, there was a supposed to be a sexualized nudity in, this, in the train scene between Randy Quaid and, that would not surprise me. Yeah, but they cut it out just to get the PG-13 rating. But the European theatrical version and the video release, um, it's not an American release. It's only in the European one where you can mm. actually see full nudity. Really? Interesting. Yep. Interesting. And then another one that I absolutely love, <clears throat> and I think I speak for both of us because I believe we've had this conversation. I hope you um, say what I'm thinking. I think I'm going to. Enemy Mind. Yes, yes. Yeah, there we go. My favorite Randy Quaid film. Dennis. Dennis. Jeez. <laughs> Look at that. See, you started you started a snowball effect and now it's happening. Well, now I see why you say that because it's about like a, a human astronaut and an alien, and you would automatically make that jump that Randy was the alien. <laughs> An Independence Day. <laughs> but actually it's Danny Glover, am I not mistaken? Uh, I think it's Louis Gossett Jr. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're hundred percent right. Yes, 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 yes. That's why I have you here. Um, <laughs> I just sit here and look pretty. You're the brains of the operation. Uh, and then last of this, uh, Randy, no, see, stop it. I'm doing it too. Last of the Dennis Quaid recommend, recommendations from me. One, two, is, three, inner space. <laughs> oh, no, no. I've never saw that one either much for the same reason. I never, what, doesn't that one have Martin Short? It does. Yeah. I like physically loathe. Like I, I when you, uh, I feel myself like choking back vomit when I say Martin Short. I cannot stand Martin Short so much. <laughs> oh, gee, was it because Three Amigos? Uh, no, this started way back when I used to watch SCTV, and I didn't like him on SCTV. Oh, I, no, I gotcha. Me, my my loathing of Martin Short goes way way back. <laughs> and then is Meg Ryan in that one? Um. I may be wrong on that one. Yeah, I, honestly, I don't know. I just remember Dennis Quaid and Martin Short because Martin mm -hmm. Short was a co complete like basket case through the entire movie. Yeah, I just no, thank you. My actually recommendation was going to be Far From Home um, with Julianne Moore, who I love Julianne Moore. Um, but yeah, so uh, th those are my Dennis Quaid recommendations. So moving on um, in the film, he is. Um, psychic and he's previously worked under a doctor who's courting him again to work for uh, him ag again on a new project and that's Dr. Novotny uh, Novot yeah Novotny and that's played by Max von Sydow mm -hmm. who he's an incredible actor he is I love this man um, this is where my list might get a little long here but I, I these are recommendations that people you really should see these things First and foremost, he was in a movie called uh, The Virgin Spring from 1960, and it was by the director Ingmar Bergman. What I want to point this out is to fans of the podcast, if you like horror, 
Wes Craven would later take the premise of this and expound on it uh, in a gritty, grimy way for The Last House on the Left. If anyone knows what that is. Um, then another one that I recommend by Mr. Von Sydow is The Night Visitor from 71. He would play Father Marin two times, once in William Friedkin's The Exorcist from 73 and then Exorcist 2, The Heretic from 77. And then he would do a lot of like comic book to film movies. He was Ming the Merciless and Flash Gordon with Sam Jones and his big dick from 1980. Um, he worked with Arnold in Conan the Barbarian from 82. And then he also was in Solomon Kane from 2009, which did you see that one, Rob? No, I did not. Okay. It, I want us to cover that one because it would easily fall in a creature feature. And I think you would love, absolutely love it. Yeah, um, I don't even think I've ever heard of that. I bet you haven't either. It's it's like a it's a comic book, but it wasn't like a great big comic book. It kind of like just kind of skirted by. But I think you would truly love the movie. Like, okay. seriously. Yeah. And then real quick, he was in Dario Argento's Sleepless from 2001. So those are all Mr. Von Sydow's credits that I would recommend people checking out. Then he has an assistant, Dr. Uh, DeVries. Uh, and that is also our psychic's love interest. And that's played by Kate Capshaw, also Mrs. Steven Spielberg. Um, the only really film that I know that I love her in is uh, she was in my favorite installment of the Indiana Jones films. That would be Temple of the Temple of Doom from 84. She played Willie Scott. And that's I my think, favorite of the Indiana Jones. Ones. I think that might be a lot of people's favorites because uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark was a little too deep for me to understand at that time. But. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom must have come out at like the perfect time for me because it had, you know, it had the action and it had like the just all the cool stuff that I thought, you know. It's the gayest of the four. That's why I love it, because it's got that big dance number at the beginning. I the anything, anything. Go See, you don't remember. No, I don't, no I don't. Remember. I love it. <laughs> it's uh, she's doing the anything, anything goes musical number and they drop something and then there's a whole big kerfuffle and she's trying to catch one thing and i think they're trying to get something else it's like a diamond and something else huh. um but yeah i love and i love her and they i remember they complained that all she did was scream throughout the whole movie and that's what i loved about her like i love just <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful screaming woman who's kind of helpless i those are my favorite tropes in films okay. um or kick-ass women i'll take either one like i'm to the ex extreme i love both of those things i think i just remember short round in the cave and um some, I think it was a sacrifice that was going on or something, right? And, See, and, I remember her sequin dress. Okay, yeah, I don't remember yeah. any of that. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> two different audience members with two different agendas. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and then our uh, villain, the government official, the bad guy, the uh, actual, in quotation marks, friend to the president, mm -hmm. is Bob Blair, and he's played by Christopher Plummer. Now, um, Little Mark and his mother loved musicals and we would watch them all the time. So I first probably recognized Mr. Plummer from The Sound of Music with Julie Andrews. Did you ever see The Sound of Music? No, I've never seen that. Okay. Yeah. Way gay. Okay. Sound of Music. <laughs> and then um, I love Karen Black and he was in a movie called The Picks from 73. Uh, he was also in a Klaus Kinski, Donald Pleasance, Nosferatu film called Vampire in Venice from 1988. I believe we've talked about this one, though. He was in Wolf from 94 with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Yes, we did talk about that one. Okay. 
in 95, he did two films of note, Dolores Claiborne, and one of my favorite movies of all time, because it has Bruce uh, Willis being scrubbed naked, uh, 12 Monkeys. Oh, 12 Monkeys. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then Knives Out from 2019. He did that one as well, which is a really fun Kenneth Branagh film if you're into like, I mystery. I always kind of wanted thing. to see Knives Out, and I just never got around to seeing it yet. Really? I didn't know that was, those were your kind of films. It's really fun. It looked like it was something that I'd be into, like, especially because it's got knives in it. Well, in the title anyway. <laughs> and, and they're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then uh, <laughs> and then the president of the film is Eddie Albert. Um, I mainly know him because I was a TV kid and he was on Green Acres, which was a I was caught in reruns. Uh, it's basically a really wealthy couple moved to a farm uh, and he played Oliver Wendell Douglas. Oh, I love Green Acres. I was just going to ask you if you ever, I, I love, I did too. I love Jasha. She was so fun. She was. Um, and then now two movies of note, one of them, I, well, I, I like to draw. I'm a cartoonist and things like that, but I love the comic strip, Brenda star. And I don't like clearly, like I always thought it was just meant for gay men. Cause I don't know who else would be reading Brenda star. Uh, do you know who Brenda star is? No clue. Okay. So it was a, uh, it was a daily comic that appeared in the newspaper and she was a um, like a, a newspaper investigator. And so that would get her all sorts of like trouble and things like that. Um, it was really quite campy. And like, she always had all these like really glamorous outfits since, I mean, it was so gay. Like, I don't really know who the target audience was other than like maybe fifties housewives and gay people. Anyway, they made a movie rendition of it that didn't do very well, but he was in it. and. Um, Brooke Shields played Brenda Starr, which was really good casting. And then um, Timothy Dalton was also in it. The James Bond guy, Timothy Dalton. Oh, okay. And then another movie that like, it's got a cult following, but I love the thing. It was uh, called The Devil's Reign from 1975. It also has William Shatner and Ernest Borgnine and a very brief appearance by John Travolta in it, which (laughs) is fantastic. If you've never seen The Devil's Reign, it's just cheesy 70s horror movie fun. I um, recently subscribed to Shout Factory TV, and that was one of the movies on their front page. Oh, did you watch it? Not yet, but I put it on my oh, list. Oh, I love cult movies. Like, I'm sorry, like, like satanic cult movies. And that it checks all <laughs> my boxes. That one's just so fun. We have a uh, we have a good psychic. We have an evil psychic. Our evil psychic is Tommy Ray uh, Glattman. And that's played by David Patrick Kelly. Mm-hmm. He's fucking three names in real life. Right. It's like every time somebody's got three names, it's, um, well, look, he plays, he's got three names as a character and three names. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's pretty wild. Yes. And so, really quick, he was in The Warriors from 79, which is a really weird, fun film. Was he the he one did- who did the Warriors come out to play? Maybe. Oh. I know he has longer hair, longer, curlier hair. Maybe. Okay. So he was also in Wild at Heart with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. He has a reoccurring character in the Twin Peaks films. He's Jerry Horn. And he was also in The Crow from 94. Oh, I don't remember seeing him in that. Okay. I thought you were going to do that. Who was he to me? I was waiting. That's why I got really quiet. Honestly, the last, the only other place, that's why I call like the Avengers of Ford Fairlane, you know, the the guy that uh, Andrew Dice Clay constantly beats up in that film. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
is David Patrick Kelly, and I can't remember. Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, he played Charlie in the first two John Wick films. No way. Way. Wow. Okay, see, again, I did not even notice that, and I love the John Wick films. Honestly, I feel that David Patrick Kelly is one of those actors that can look very different in films. Maybe, yeah. He's not super recognizable to me. He kind of like blends, like his characters, he blends into the characters he's playing. Uh, last but not least, but I feel like we do need to mention him. George Went has a role as a writer. His name's Charlie Prince in the film. Um, he's Norm from Cheers. He's uh, Remo- who did oh, he play ahead. in House again? I don't remember the name, but he was huh. in House. I was going to say that. Yeah, uh, he was in Space Truckers from '95, and then of course the best movie ever on Earth, Spice World from '97. Okay, that's I'm done with all of my movie recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so now on to our film. Um, the movie Dreamscape, it's about a psychic with the ability to enter other people's dreams, nightmares, however you want to say it. Okay. What's before we get into it, what I think is interesting is a year earlier, the movie Brainstorm came out with a similar premise that had Natalie Wood and Christopher Walken in it. But also of note, the same year we got Wes Craven's A Nightmare on Elm Street, which I think like... How in the collective consciousness, this was a thing, the whole entering dreams to manipulate them and everything influenced them. Okay. So our movie opens with like an incredibly cheesy logo. It very much dates it of being an 80s film, I think, with our logo. Totally. And we see this woman running and it's like, at first it's just kind of like devastation. And then we get like a atomic bomb behind her. Mm-hmm. And we get our president awakening and he's screaming and everything it was just clearly a nightmare so now we meet kind of alex and uh we realize that he um has the power of telekinesis and he's psychic and everything um and this is really bad because i have them written as their real people's names so (laughs) you know what's weird though they say that he he has telekinesis, but we never see him do anything like moving any kind of objects with his. No, mind. no, it's way more. He's he's got like a psychic ability, not like he moves things around. Yeah. Really. Um, yeah. Um, so. Dr. Novotny, Max von Sydow's character, is explaining all of this to um, uh, Dr. DeVray, DeVray, who is Kate Capshaw's character. <laughs> Because all my notes just say Max and Kate and Max and Kate. Because <laughs> their names were hard. Okay, wait. So, <clears throat> but it's revealed that Alex stuck around originally with the doctor for testing, but he kind of booked out early. And so they weren't able to like really finish the testing and everything. And they were unable to find him. Um, but um, the doctor vows that, you know, they they have found him now. So we cut to Max or Alex. I'm sorry, Alex. And of course he's using much as I would do, his powers to gain monetary uh, uh, wealth by betting on horse races. Totally. Uh, He he always wins, of course, (laughs) but he's also run afoul of like what you call crooks who like want like their payoff of his winnings too. And so he's kind of run afoul of them and he barely escapes being beat up by them. Um, I love how he does it. He's got like a bag full of money. (laughs) Um, They court him in the bathroom. So he must have filled it with toilet paper at, uh, yes. while he was waiting. Right. 
because he knows what's going to happen because mm-hmm. he's psychic. Yeah, that was pretty cool, I think. Uh, so anyway, they they get left hold on, holding a bag of toilet paper while he escapes like on a horse trailer thing. Um, yeah. So anyway, um, <clears throat> so back at the apartment, we kind of are given the clue that he's kind of a bit of a, a player, a player. Uh, because on his answer machine, there's a couple different women. One wants to see him and the other one never wants to see him again. And then, you know, all of a sudden she calls back that she does want to see him. And he is also a soulful sax player because there's one in the room. Yeah. And I, as soon as he picked up the sax, I thought of you and and the guy from Lost Boys. <laughs> exactly. If only that were the man playing Alex instead of this one, I would have, it would have held my interest a lot more. Okay. So anyway, so um, we see him leaving his apartment and there are two men who have shown up to offer him a proposition and they're from thorn uh thornhill college and at first he's not really interested but then he kind of spies the two crooks that he ditched earlier Mm -hmm. coming down his street so he agrees to take a ride in their station wagon really just to flee you know being confronted by these two creeps um but what he's actually done is kind of jumped from the was out of the frying pan into the fire by getting into the car with these people pretty much because then they won't let him out no they refuse to let him out because they're basically have been hired to take him back to bates hall where the previous dr Novotny is waiting for him to be delivered to continue working on this new project uh entering people's dreamscape to manipulate and help them out is waiting for him his return yeah so um basically what they've done is they have a sleep station set up and it's two like recliners basically and and one person who's having problems with their nightmares would you know sit in the one chair and then the other one is hooked up to them and the the psychic person with the abilities is able to enter their dreams and kind of help them face their fears manipulate things so the other person gets control of whatever's you know uh causing them to lose sleep or whatever's you know, hindering, you know, their psyche or whatever like that. So it's basically a way of, of doing that. Um, they figured out that they need to enter by using, um, by like uh, uh, checking on the frequency of the nightmares and using, they have to be in a, a REM state of sleep. Um, they've also figured out this can help with sexual dysfunction. Um, and then uh, sometimes sexual dysfunction is physical or psychological. If it's psychological, then the psychic would be able to help. So and then this is where he makes the crack that he's just counting boners. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, mm, yeah. Okay, so anyway, um and at first Alex really doesn't want any kind of part of this and everything and then Dr. Novotny is saying, you know, you kind of left me high and dry back in Chicago. Um and you wonder at first if there's going to be like animosity between them, but no there really isn't. The doctor's not holding it against Alex. He kind of understands that you know, Alex didn't want to feel like a, a lab rat and he just kind of went out of the situation. But also Dr. Novotny points out that, you know, this is a gift and he's just kind of wasting his talents, you know, with what he's doing with them now, just, you know, basing or uh, using it to to um, bet on horses and things like that. Yeah. He's kind of just uh, what does he say now? Damn it. It's almost like pissing away your gifts or something like that. Right. Yes, exactly. Pretty much. Exactly. Um, Now, Rob, if you had these gifts, what would you do with them? My goodness. 
Um, well, I would be playing a, a lot of the lottery, I think. Um, I see. Also, because if, if you can like, I wonder if he could read minds or um, at least like read the what's on the surface. And so it's like you, you would know like which women are into you <laughs> and which ones are not. And so it's like, you know exactly where to go and what to say. And so, yeah. But it seems like you'd have to be close to them too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Um, <laughs> Which might be a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> Especially with me being so sensitive. It's like you hurt right. my feelings just by having a thought, you know? Right, you bitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, um, uh, it's everyone's prerogative. I'm just being so. Yeah, but no, I, yeah. See, I would just invade like, every man's dream <laughs> you'd be like freddy krueger yeah yeah but it'd be way gay you'd have like dildo fingers <laughs> <laughs> something like that yeah get ready yeah, for yeah. prime time bitch right right <laughs> um so they decided to like dr Novotny really wants to be a part of this so he's decided to take him to dinner and kind of sway his opinion about this um and okay is that like the place where I don't know when Hooters got started, but that place looked like it might have been Hooters before there was Hooters. Yeah, it's, it kind of seemed pubby and kind of. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it did. Um, and this is like where he's really trying to plant the seeds of all the possibilities that this project holds. If Alex will just agree to do it. Alex feels like it's a crazy idea. And then Novotny counters back that two men have already done it. So it's possible to do. Um, and he explains how the machine works and everything. Um and he's also saying that once you're proficient at it, you really don't need that machine, um, that you can do it by yourself. Uh, and this is where he brings up the concept of a dreamscape is, is your subconscious uh, uh, mind is, is, is that dreamscape that you can enter. Um, and so we see off in the you know, bar area that um, the George Wendt character, uh, Charles Prince, is actually kind of eavesdropping over everything. Which supposedly this was supposed to be like a ripoff of like a Stephen King character, but I don't really feel he's quite Stephen Kingy, but that's what it was claimed to be. So back at the place, so Alice agrees to stay, and he's staying actually on the premises back at the place. So he's kind of like you know checking out the corridors and everything, and he he stumbles upon um, the lab, and he sees that there is a boy in the one chair and a male psychic. And that the two doctors, uh, Kate and Max's characters, are actually kind of, you know, performing an experiment uh, with the two in the chairs. Uh, the young boy is Buddy, and uh, he's actually uh, presently in the state he's in, he cannot walk. So he's, he's um, using a wheelchair to get around and everything. Um, and they're trying to help the boy with his severe... Uh, nightmares that he's having. They're like really affecting him uh, substantially in his life. And they're trying to figure out what he's so afraid of. So this is kind of what, you know, Alex spies on. Um, the next morning, um, Dr. Novotny has gone to um, Alex's room to wake him up. And unfortunately, Alex is sleeping in a pair of black skivvies, not completely nude. Um <laughs> So I forgave that for a moment. I was kind of upset, but I moved on. Um, so we also, it's mentioned that the man working with Buddy, his name was Edward. 
Okay, and, and okay, now I'm remembering who because I thought the only other psychic was Tommy, but um, mm-hmm. it's yeah. uh, there was another psychic that his brain got turned into mush. Right. Yes. Right. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So whatever's going on in Buddy's mind is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It. It. Uh, Edward could not stand up to. No. I'm sorry. I don't. I didn't mean that. I, I'm not making fun of people. <laughs> That's not what I meant. It. Just, it was hard for him to withstand what uh, Buddy was experiencing in his dreams. Um, which once we find that out, I'm going to say Edward is a giant wuss. I'm just putting that out there. Um, anyway, so Alex is still not really wanting to do this until Dr. Novotny brings up that Alex has failed to claim any of his winnings and the IRS is probably looking at like a five-year audit. And then all of a sudden this little blackmail technique totally changes Alex's mind. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. I also think the fact that he has a bit of a crush on the Kate Capshaw character, uh, Dr. DeVay, uh, was it? Um, I think it's DeVry's, DeVry's, something like that. I think it's DeVry. We'll say DeVry. Uh, A crush on her character. I think that also helps. Now, it's not wrong or right. I just want to ask you this. Did she seem much older than him to you? You know what? She kind of did. It might have been the look that they were going for with, with like her wearing the dress and him just having that like a uh, 20 year old hair, you know? Yeah. Okay. I just want to, cause to me, she seemed a lot much older too. And I have no, I mean, I have no male to female, female to male doesn't matter. Yeah. It's just in this situation, I'm like, gosh, she seems much older than him. She seemed and, like a, a college professor type too. Right. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Um, and so she admits that she finds him attractive, but she's, that's, as far as it's going to go. So he deems her Dr. Deep Freeze. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that uh, evening, this is when, as you mentioned, as you referred to earlier, we see that Edward is being loaded into a van and he's just mush now. He's no longer going to be a viable uh, psychic to work with anybody. So unfortunately, Alex's shower is interrupted, but given enough time to put a towel on by Tommy Ray. Um, and he's outside playing uh, Alex's sax. Well, this is the other psychic that um, Dr. Novotny had been alluding to. Playing it very terribly, I might add. Horribly, horribly. And so Alex is thinking, well, hey, this is another psychic in the program. Maybe we can kind of like, he can pump him for information, get some idea of what's going on. But Tommy's just kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, I wrote that in my notes. I was like, Tommy is a dick. He's a total dick. And he wants no part of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, sharing any information. He wants to be like, you know, um, top guy on the project here. And so he's just leaves him high and dry. He's not going to share anything with Alex whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So back in the lab, we see a man being hooked up with Alex and they just want to give it a try and to um, hook them up to see how it works. And the man they're hooking him up with is Bill Hardy, who is a steel worker. Well, in this kind of dream sequence they're on top of a very tall building there is a girder being lifted behind the construction worker and it kind of sways a bit knocking the construction worker mr hardy off and he grabs onto it well alex jumps to his rescue and so they're both kind of like hanging on this girder suspended way over all these like how many like thousands it seems like floors of 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 a building yeah it's like an endless kind of building Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, Bill is losing his grip. He starts to slide. 
Alex goes to save him, grabs onto the man's flannel shirt, rips it. But then instead, Alex is the one who plummets to his, like, in quotes, death. Yeah, he just, didn't he fall for a really, really long time, too? A really, really long time, yeah. So as he awakens, he's like, you know, this is real. It feels like death. And that's when they start to make the assumption that, hey, maybe what happens in your dream might just be real as well. Yeah. Oh, I did have something I wanted to bring up. I didn't know if uh, Walter had also brought it up, but I did. I wondered, like, did you see the electrodes on the chin, on the ears? And, um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I I, I was just like, did did Walt notice that? (laughs) And did he have anything to say about it? (laughs) This one, he was on his phone with uh, IMDb and like trivia helping me out. So he was doing way more of that than actual watching this one. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Um, so he, I don't know if he caught on that one or not, because he was helping me out a lot with trivia. Um, but now also what's important to note is that Tommy, the evil psychic, was also watching in on this, and he was not pleased with anything that went on. <clears throat> oh, right, because see, it, it's another person who can successfully enter dreams and manipulate them. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, shit, now I've got some competition. Exactly. So because of this, they're doing a CAT scan on Alex just to make sure everything's, you know, kosher. And while he's in the CAT scan, he comes out of the machine and out of nowhere pops up uh, Mr. Blair, who we've really not seen before. Well, what he is, is he's a financial backer of the project. And he kind of introduces himself and he, you know, makes mention that he runs a project for the government. And he also won't unstrap Alex. He leaves him like strapped down to this you know, uh, what would you call it? Like an almost gurney thing that he's on to can bring him in and out of the, of the CAT scan machine. Yeah. And how um, bad is the CAT scan that you have to be strapped into the table while you're in there? They usually do that. So you don't move, I think. Oh, okay. Cause I've gotten yeah. like MRIs done and they, they didn't like strap me in or anything. I, <laughs> maybe they knew things about Alex that we didn't know. Maybe, um, yeah. But basically the, the, Blair character is, you know, saying this got like tremendous, you know, being involved in this project, you have like tremendous uh, responsibilities. It also comes with a lot of possibilities. Um, It's an unauthorized dream chamber. uh, So the visits, you know, no one needs to know that you're here and everything and your work is strictly confidential. So basically keep your mouth closed. Yeah. Okay. So, and then he walks away, still not untying Alex. He's still bound there. Right. So when, when is that nurse coming in to like untie him? Exactly. So outside, this is where Alex first gets to meet Buddy Driscoll, the, the young boy. And he's out there with um, uh, Dr. DeVry's um, character. And um, she kind of fills it, you know, Alex in on, on what was going on and everything. and. This is where Buddy shares with Alex um, that there's a big, awful, ugly monster in his dream and it's too big for him to tackle. And, uh, you know, Alex offers like, you know, kind of a shoulder to lean on and, you know, he's, you know, you could talk to me anytime you want to kind of thing. Um, also, they're being spied on by a man with a mustache, not Tom Atkins, but kind of like kind of close. Right. And I was wondering who that mysterious mustache man was. It, it never panned yes. out, though. I think it kind of does. It's just not in a big way. Um, oh, okay. I, yeah, I didn't even notice it if it did happen. Yeah, I think he's just one of the lackeys that works for Blair. Oh, okay. Yeah, I so, think they're really just 
they were watching him and maybe they were also, were they watching the guy, the, the uh, writer guy that George Went plays as well? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I think they're just kind of tre- keeping track on it. In my mind, they're keeping track on anyone involved in this just to make sure that things don't, they can control the situation no matter how it goes. Yeah. Like the secret think- service guys with their, with their earpieces and stuff. Yeah, and I think they feel like Alex is a loose cannon, so he's got to be watched. Because <laughs> he is a loose cannon. He is, he is. So the next thing we have is this clearly a dream because it's all red. It's a bombed out village. You get these echoing voices. It's the little kids saying, you know, what did you do? It burns. Please help mm-hmm. us. And then you see the president. He's kind of burnt and he awakens and he's like, it's all my fault. And then his daughter's at his bedside and she's like, it's worse since mom died. And then the helicopter lands and out you know, comes Bob Blair, the Christopher Plummer character, and he's arrived to meet with the president and they exchange niceties because they're friends in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Basically Blair's a snake and he shouldn't be trusted. He's the snake monster. Mm-hmm. And so the president conveys that his nightmares are getting worse and everything and starting to affect his job. Um, and that uh, in turn, uh, Mr. Blair says that he is fronting a dream research uh, with has all sorts of specialists that might actually be of assistance to the president in this situation. Um, and this is where the president confides in Blair that, you know, this nuclear madness has got to stop. And he is um, going to the Geneva delegation next month, and he's going to plan to dis, uh, a disarmament deal with Russia. And he's thinking that if he does this, it'll put a stop to the nightmares. Yeah. And Mr. Blair does not want that at all. Not at all, because he's a jerk. Okay, so next we're in the office of Dr. DeVry, and she's with a couple, Mrs. Weber and her husband, George. They're basically a married couple, and they are dealing with uh, impot- an issue of impotency. So what they decide to do is to um, use Alex as a the psychic in this situation to go into George's dreams to see what's going on. Pretty much any time in this movie that the psychic goes into a dream, it's the same. Uh, uh, they repeat the same optics. It's that really trippy, like kind of spinning optic and you get some kind of echoey moaning voices of some sort to let you know they're entering the dream. Yeah. And like, if we didn't have those sound effects, that would be surprisingly close to Dr. Who like, um... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So in this sequence, we have George who's complaining to Alex, you know, basically about his wife and everything like that. They're driving in a car. They arrive at George's house. He wants uh, Alex to go in the back door while he goes in the front door. Once inside, he hears um, upstairs. His wife is clearly engaged in a sexual activity. He opens the door only to find his wife in bed with uh, George's brother, her brother-in-law, Underneath the bed are three of George's friends Uh, in the corner of the room is supposedly their gardener and then a priest. And while this is going on, their kids are watching. So clearly this means that um, he has issues. um, He's got an inferiority complex. Inferiority complex. Exactly. So that's what this is all about. Now, apparently this was like you were saying about, um, Oh, and also fears of sexual inadequacy. Sorry. Um, apparently, this was also, you had um, breasts in this scene, but it was cut. 
um, oh, I guess down wow. to get a PG thirteen. Oh yeah, because when um, when he bursts into the room and the wife pops up and looks back, yeah, it's uh, cut from the bottom, so you can't see that part. Right, and <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> this was the second film after Red Dawn to get the PG thirteen rating. Oh, I did read that. Yeah, yeah. So, um, we are inside the office of Dr. Novotny, and this is where Alex starts to question him about Buddy, but Dr. Novotny doesn't want him involved with Buddy because he's like, I don't want to lose another psychic on on this project because the other one was not successful, and he doesn't want to risk uh, putting Alex in jeopardy by working with Buddy. And then you know, Alex is basically, well, then I'm out of here. Yeah, I thought that was odd because he had worked with Alex before, so he knows like where his strengths are and what he's <clears> capable <throat> of. So it's like if anybody is like a, a strong psychic, I think that he would know that Alex was ready for that kind of thing, you know? Uh, I guess maybe he doesn't know what the boy's dreams are and he doesn't want to jeopardize <laughs> Cause it's 50, 50, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you're wrong and you do send him in and you kill the guy or, you know, you make his mind mush, then you wreck the whole project. Yeah, that's true. I think it was a chance he just didn't want to take. You know what? I also thought, I thought that it was Tommy who was uh, invading that boy's dreams and like killing all the other psychics. <laughs> I, was, I could, yeah, I, I could, it's clearly not, but I, he seems like the person that would easily do something like yeah, that. Yeah. Like that's what I was thinking because as a kid, I barely remember, you know, what happened in this movie. But then when I watched it again last night, I was like, Tommy, that bastard, he's killing all the other psychics because he wants to be top dog. Right. Right. Um, and then of course, now I jumped the gun a little bit. This is where actually, uh, Dr. Novotny explains that, you know, uh, a lot of this is based on the, the uh, a tribe from Malaysia. Uh, the Sinoi the tribe, um, they believe that the dream life is just as real as the waking life um, and that, you know, Buddy's got to face his fear to conquer and everything. So next day, Alex is hooked up to Buddy. Uh, they um, both go into the dream. And then uh, once inside, you get the, there's like lightning. It's a stormy night and everything. And in the dream, Buddy can actually walk. <clears throat> So in the scenario, Alex is the babysitter. Outside, there is a snake man that wants in. There's knocking, but he pleads with Alex not to open the door. Of course, Alex says, no, we got this. He opens the door. Uh, There's a jump scare. Um, uh, Buddy's dad won't offer any assistance whatsoever. He's sitting at the table. He won't, you know, come to his son's aid. The snake man actually jumps through the window, comes crashing in. Um, they open this door to reveal a set of really crazy stairs. Yeah. Um, now did that remind you of like a, a stairway in Beetlejuice? Like with all the crookedness <clears throat> and you know, the weird, the weird stairs and stuff going on. That and just this part here reminds me of the one sequence from the Twilight Zone movie with the kid who can control dreams. I don't think I ever- saw that one. Oh, you never saw the Twilight Zone movie with Dan uh, Aykroyd? Oh, okay. I did, but I, I don't remember that part. Just the whole feel of this reminds me. It, so it's the one kid who can control his, his like his family. He's like a, like he makes uh, 
like the babysitter comes over and the whole family's afraid of him. I'm going to have to uh, watch that again. Okay. It just reminds me of this. Like, I think like the way it's filmed and like the feel of it anyway. Okay. So, um, they head down the stairs. They end up in this like little like tunnel room that leads into a, a, a like, like tunnel, uh, passageway leads into a room, close the door, door busts in, uh, Alice gets attacked. This is some pretty cool, like stop motion stuff. If you're into that kind of thing, it would make Ray Ray Harryhausen very proud. Um, And then Buddy comes to the rescue and beheads the snake. And then for some reason, there's a giant pit. The snake head falls down into because it's a dream, I guess. Um, And then once awake, it's revealed that Buddy can now walk. So it was a very successful dreamscape experiment on that on 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 Alex's part. So I didn't notice that part. So I'm guessing that whatever was crippling Buddy was basically psychological. Yes, clearly it was psychosomatic. So, okay. On the TV of the room where Alex is at, it's like a lunchroom. There's a TV reporter making note the president has a flu. Okay. So Alex is eating and he's sketching the snake man. So Tommy comes in to question him. He's being a real like prick. Um, and he makes a statement about being, oh, Alex makes a statement about Tommy being the number one lab rat. And he also, unfortunately, makes note that the snake, snake man really scared Alex to Tommy, which is a really bad thing to do because we all know Tommy's going to use this to his advantage later mm-hmm. on. So back in the, uh, uh, the female doctor's office, Alex begins to hit on her and she shuns him at first. And she gives him two reasons why um, she just doesn't want to be another rank in his conquest of women. And that she feels that that might jeopardize the program. So he leans in for a sneaky kiss because he still likes her. <laughs> so they are at a restaurant. Now we're at a restaurant. Sorry. We are at a restaurant. And this is where we once again, see the George went character of the author, Charlie Pride, Prince Prince. And he's um, kind of presents his little paperback of a uh, uh, novel called Stab. And he begins to question Alex about his re- uh, about what he's doing for research for his new book on dreams. Hey, can I stop you right there for one second? Because I just had a thought. Yeah. Um, okay. The Scream movies, wasn't there? Um, the stab. A stab. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I wasn't exactly. sure, but it sounded familiar. And also Charlie Prince, uh, Stephen King. So King and Prince. Get it? Oh, look how good you are. <laughs> I I automatically put George Went in like this like purple skin tight thing with a roughly collar and like a little mustache and a little beauty mark. And I made him, yeah. Prince. And he was singing Purple Rain. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, okay. So at first Alex is kind of snippy about it. Um, and then Prince makes mention of Bob Blair. And he tells him that he's the head of a covert intelligence operation. And he mentions, you know, deep, dark secrets are hidden within dreams and everything. And it's all part of an intelligence group. That kind of makes Alex change his tune towards Mr. Prince a little bit because he's like, hey, you're kind of on to things that that not normal people have privy to this information. Mm-hmm. This is where the mustache man that we talked about earlier also reappears, which causes Charlie to immediately leave the bar. So now we're back on campus. So Alex reappears back in uh, Dr. DeVry's office and he sees her asleep on the couch. Okay. Oh, this is the part that I absolutely did not like. And I feel as though it 
just should not be in this movie. It's so it's so wrong. So very wrong. Okay. All right. So what we have is she's asleep on the couch. So he plops down next to her and sits there and gets this look in his face that we probably, unless you don't have a brain, you know where this is going to go. So he enters her dream. So now you make me feel bad for having written what I wrote down. (laughs) I wrote down, I too would only use this for pervy reasons. I would be doing this right and left, but not to women. Okay. Okay. Now as a kid or as a teenager, I probably would be thinking in the same direction as that. But when I saw that, this scene was in, I was like, oh man, that's so wrong. It's so effed up, man. <laughs> yeah. So once he's in her dream, she's on a train. We got the conductor asking for the ticket and everything. And, you know, she, it looks like, I mean, uh, it looks like something out of like a, a Skinamax film. You know, she's dressed like in a low cut, like polka dotted dress yeah. and everything. And so he comes in, it looks like the Bee Gees put him on the shirt because it's not buttoned, like except for like one down by his navel and everything. Um, and, the Fabio shirt and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. So he kneels down in front of her and slides her dress up and they embrace and kiss and he stands up and his shirt's off and there's clearly lovemaking. They don't like show anything, but you know what? That's what's happening. Yeah. Now, if we were going to recast Randy Quaid, I also want to do Kim Basinger as Dr. DeVry. Now, you just said... Oh, okay. I get it. Randy Quaid. So you want Kim Basinger? Um, Yeah. To me, I'll put Kim Basinger in the role instead of Kate Capshaw. I like Kate Capshaw. There's nothing wrong, but like to me, these two women are interchangeable. Huh? Uh, Yeah. yeah. um, Honestly, I think that's a good call actually. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. I can see Um, that happening. I can see that. Yeah. It was this scene that put that in my head. This particular scene, I thought, oh, Kim Basinger. Ah, anyway, because she's dirty, dirty Kim Basinger. Dirty Kim Basinger. Yeah. <laughs> so the two lock eyes. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, um, the doctor wakes up, the two lock eyes, and she is reasonably, I mean, totally every, <laughs> every reason to be pissed that he has done what he has done. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she she uh, marches off. He follows in pursuit, gives her a half hearted apology. Um, but then she makes note that, you know, she can't be totally angry because it was something that they actually both had wanted. Um, and plus it and, didn't actually happen. She, or she said something like it was only a dream, so it didn't really happen anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And that would be the argument I would use when every man before he punched me in the face. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, I didn't do anything really. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we both wanted it. And then I run. Um, (laughs) So so we have a new day and we have Blair is worried that the president is going to destroy the country by basing his actions on his dreams. And he's just not going to allow it. Mm -hmm. And he starts to plead with um, Dr. Dr. Novotny to help the president. So. um, Back in the lab. We see a female patient. Um, I think it's Mrs. Patricic. Patricic is linked with Tommy, and um, it and uh, Doctor Novotny's ready to go. But you know, now that the dream has been exchanged between the two, you know, Alex kind of has more of uh, Doctor uh, Devry's attention, and they're off chatting. But finally, uh, Doctor Novotny gets her attention, calls her back over, and they start performing the project at hand with Tommy and and the the female patient. So while under, she starts to 
have uh, complications. She begins having a coronary and she goes cold blue. They attempt to save her. It's of no use whatsoever. And they try to defibrillate her. Nothing happens. Back at the lunchroom, Tommy seems very unfazed by what just transpired in the lab. He's actually eating his lunch and everything. Um, And when Alice confronts him about this, Tommy just kind of flippantly is like, well, everybody dies. And he doesn't seem shaken at all, which causes a bit of um, question to arise in Alex's mind in regards to Tom's character. Uh, You know, because most people would be having issues with this, not just having lunch. So the president is going to be arriving at the facility for a uh, a dream intervention, I guess you would say it. Um, Where he's going to be placed is not where Blair wants him to be. And he demands that he's moved to a different part of the building in a new location. Um, Dr. Novotny disagrees with this. He's like, you know, where I have him would be the best location for the experiments because he'd be so close to the labs. But Blair's not having any of this. So he, you know, at first, Dr. Novotny challenges him on this. And he's like, nope, that's not going to happen. He's going to be moved. So back in Tommy's room, Blair comes in to check on Tommy. So clearly they have a relationship that we didn't really know about before. Yeah. And and this is where we find that out. Exactly. And, you know, he wants to make sure that Tommy's not a drug user. and. and then it makes mention that they have a bit of a past together. And, you know, he, he, Blair feels that Tommy's just kind of lacking direction and he just really needs to channel his talents and he has big plans for him. So back in another section of the building, Alex has entered Dr. Uh, um, God, Navoy's. No, uh, yes. Novotny. Novotny's lab to snoop in a file cabinet where he retrieves Tommy's file. Oh, in there, yeah. In there, he finds those clippings that reveal that Tommy was a self-proclaimed psychic who actually murdered his father. So. Now. That evening, Alex decides to meet up with Charlie Prince, the author, and um, uh, this is where they discover that maybe the woman that was linked with Tommy wasn't an accident. They come up with this theory. And then um, the the men's – oh, while they're talking, more of the like lackeys that work for Blair start to approach – but the whole proceedings are interrupted by like a college like celebration, like a sporting event celebration just spills out onto the the campus grounds. Yeah. And I thought this happened earlier. Men. My bad. I was like, wait oh, a minute. Okay. Charlie's already dead. What are you talking about? <laughs> yes, exactly. So it separates the two, which allows the lackeys, the flunkies to shoot Charlie. And then they basically shove Alex into a waiting car. Yeah. And did they carry Charlie off? Like after they shot him, were they still dragging him somewhere? That I don't remember. I do know that Charlie was wearing a Cardinals baseball cap, which we used to have the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Shout out to men in jock straps. <laughs> okay. So, so Blair's in the backseat with Alex and, um, 
he explains that Charlie would have exposed the whole project. So he had to be getting, you know, he had to get rid of the man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Alex wants to know why Tommy had to kill the woman. And Blair's like, you know, to see if it could be done. She was basically, that was it. She didn't pose a threat or anything. It was just, she was like a guinea pig and it works. So now we know we can do it. Um, and that Blair is going to do whatever it takes to keep the country safe. And that in the dream, Tommy uh, used a knife uh, to, to, uh, to stab someone. To kill them and basically if you die in your dream you die in real life yeah so what, what he's did it say oh. he had manifested a knife somehow like he's able to uh shape the dream into any any way that he sees fit like he yeah becomes and, the, and clearly later on we realize this to be true he could do whatever he wants basically yeah yeah um and thus what blair is doing is he's wanting to create like a group of dream assassins mm-hmm. and All he right, wants so, uh he wants dennis quaid to to be one of those assassins Exactly. And Alex makes note that no one is safe from Blair. And Blair's like, well, work for me or die. The choice is yours. Alex chooses to jump from the movie vehicle and he flees off on foot with two men in pursuit. Um, On the road, Alex flags down a motorcyclist and then takes off, makes sure he's okay, and then takes off on his motorcycle, um, causing the two men that were chasing him to lose him. Um, Blair states that he must be killed. The next day, back at Thornhill, um, Blair welcomes the president into, um, the facility and at Kate's office, she receives a phone call from Alex using a phone booth in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing around that phone booth. It felt very Hitchcock to me. I don't know if that was an homage or something, but just felt the whole uh, yeah, didn't shot, it look, the whole scene seemed very Hitchcocky. Didn't it look like a gigantic parking lot? It did with one lone phone booth in the very, very center of it. <laughs> yeah. Nothing else around it. Nope. Okay. So Alex spills the beans to uh, Dr. DeVry and she's got, she's uh, says, let's get the cops or the FBI involved. And um, uh, Alex is like, shoots that down right away. Cause he's like, no, Blair owns all of these people. You can't go to anyone for help. Mm-hmm. And so Alex says that I'll come back. And then this is where Dr. DeVry says, you know, I'll leave that. Uh, there's like a back door. Uh, I think it's like a storage entry or whatever. She'll leave that open. He can sneak in that way. Out of nowhere, the car with the flunkies smash into the phone booth. But luckily, Alex uh, runs um, to his to, uh, to the motorcycle, and then we get the little chase scene. Okay. Yeah. Didn't um, he escape at like the last minute? Last minute. Yes. So in the pursuit, he runs into the crooks from the beginning of the film. He asked for their assistance in, in exchange for information that will help them win some future horse races. Now he's on the racetrack. We get the car chase. They're shooting. There's bike stunts. He ends up down some stairs, lands on some hay bales. He ends up fleeing in the back of a horse truck. <laughs> Strategically placed hay, I might add. Totally, totally, totally. Back at Dr. Novotny's office, um, we... Uh, see the president's party arriving. The phone line goes dead. And then this is where Dr. Novotny pulls Blair's file and deposits it in a briefcase, only to be confronted by creepy Blair himself. And he begins to question Dr. Novotny about what's going on. Well, Dr. Novotny kind of shoots down the conversation and he counters it with like, what are you going to do to the president? And Blair's just simply, well, we just want to end his nightmares. But Dr. Novotny's not a fool. He he 
knows there's something up and he threatens to expose Blair. And he says that that Blair has basically taken something good, this nightmare or a you know dreamscape project, you know, helping people with their nightmares, changing that, corrupting it, and making it something awful instead of something good and important. Yeah, like um, weaponizing it. Yeah, and now that Dr. Novotny is ashamed of something that that should have been good once Blair got involved with it. So basically. Dr. Novotny is now toast. He's prevented leaving by um, by Blair's flunkies. So it's nighttime. Alex has returned, but Kate has not unlocked the door. So he can't quite get in just yet. All of a sudden she appears, which I think was meant to cause some tension as to whether or not she was on Alex's side or she was playing um, for both teams, like she was actually maybe on Blair's side. Really? I, I didn't even think of that. To do. I think that's what was meant to have been done, but it, I didn't really feel that way. I thought, no, she's not on his team. Anyway, so she does show up and let him in. So <clears throat> in the president's bedroom, he's just sitting there, everything. So it's revealed that the president is going to die in his sleep. Um, and it's going to be due to the stress that he's been under. That's what the, the press will be told. And that's what they're going to believe. Um and then this is where Tommy, you know, says back to Blair that, you know, we're a couple of regular heroes, aren't we? Because we're going to like save the world from, you know, disarmament and, and letting Russia win. So back in the garage with the station wagon, which I don't picture Hitman driving. But anyway, the henchmen are split up. And this is where um, Alex and uh, Dr. DeVry are eavesdropping and everything. Alex pins the one hitman with the door and uh, Dr. DeVry goes back and this is where she spies uh, the dead body in the back of the trunk. And Tommy uh, figures out, I'm sorry. And Alex starts to question about the, the linking of the president and the time with Tommy and tries to figure out what rooms they're going to be in. Yeah. And they knock the goon out. So the twosome head back to the doctor's office, uh, DeVry's office, um, and they think it's going to be close enough for Alex to kind of link up with the president. He's flustered. She tells him to lay down on the desk. Um, She unloosens his belt with her teeth. (laughs) Uh, No, she does not. Uh, He lays prone on the table. Um, closes his eyes and you get the trippy optics. So we know it's working. He's linking. Alex and the president are in the slow moving, like trolley train. And this is where Alex spills the beans to the president that Blair is actually sending an assassin. And he's like, you need to wake up. Well, it's revealed that the president has took a sedative to help him sleep. Outside of the subway car, we see the white house has been destroyed and it's just, basically devastation out the windows and everything. Tommy, the evil psychic has entered the trolley car. A policeman shows up and tells him to move on. Uh, Tommy all of a sudden has glamour nails of death and he kills the policeman. <laughs> Didn't that give you like Freddy Krueger vibes there where he's like, oh, totally. <laughs> I think this one came out like three, slightly before maybe or three months before, but they were in production at the same time. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, but this was released three months before. And then he and was it, giving off those one-liners too, where he's holding the heart and he's like, have, have a heart, a heart. Alex. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, which I loathe in movies. Um, so now all of a sudden we get zombies on the car. Um, and then um, the, uh, Tommy tells the, the zombie passengers that the, the uh, it's basically the president's fault. He should They should blame him and they yeah. start to attack. Alex takes off with the president. Um, <clears throat> And uh, this is where Tommy tells Alex that he's really bad at this game. And I kind of agree with him. I'm like, dude, you could be doing the same crap that Tommy's doing. I know, right? All you got to do is use your imagination. It's a dream, sir. Yeah. yeah anyway, so Tommy makes the Enter the Dragon uh, Bruce Lee reference. And he's got nunchucks and the zombies are attacking. And this is where we get another witty repartee. It's end of the line, guys. And then Tommy <laughs> becomes the snake man, which I'm like, dude, we could have all seen this. Coming. Yeah, we saw that one coming. He's like, I know what scares you, Alex. I know, exactly. Um, Meg Ryan. So the (laughs) two run down into the devastated city, and we get those glowing-eyed, like, mad-looking dogs. Um, And so they're jumping all over this, like, boiling liquid and everything. And um, there's, like, live wires all over the place. And we get that Snake Man jump scare. There's more running. They come to a dead end, and Alex has got to face his fears. So we have Alex with a torch and a pipe and he fends off the dogs. He's attacked from behind by the snake man. So we get some more of that way cool Ray Harryhausen inspired uh, stop motion. And when you said um, uh, he's holding a torch and a pipe, I, I thought you were going to make a comment about he was ready to smoke some crack. <laughs> oh, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> um, but he does get bit. His wound miraculously heals um, and he takes on the. Um, oh, um, and then he takes on the form of Tommy's dead father to f with tommy's mind while he's keeping tommy distracted the president plunges a pipe through tommy's back that goes out his front and he kills him in the dream which means he kills him in real life which means that our president isn't a murderer rob yeah i'm still here okay (laughs) (laughs) i just didn't know where you were going with that no i'm just pointing out that that would mean our president's a murderer anyway yeah um so Tommy's pronounced dead. Uh, Dr. DeVry checks that Alex is okay. Uh, uh, you know, he stopped the bastard and everything. So Blair checks on the president who wants nothing to do with him now because he realized what a snake Blair really is. Yeah. But Blair flips the script on the president and he's like, you know, you're just going to sound crazy. And the president kind of just leaves. He's just like, I don't want no part of you, whatever. Um. Dr. DeVry and Alex are leaving, but their departure is stopped by a car, and it's the president who gets out to personally thank them. He begins to undo Alex's belt. <laughs> no. Um, they ask, and, you know, uh, what he, about? He takes his underwear off with his teeth. With his teeth, no. And, uh, you know, Alex is like, what about Blair? And the president's like, you know, um, you know, because Alex is where he's going to come after, and the president's like, you know, we'll assign someone to watch after you and everything. And Alex is like, you know, don't worry. I can handle it personally. Yeah. Cause now I'm the dream master. Exactly. Exactly. So we're on an elevator. Alex is face to face with Blair. Blair's like, how did you get in here? And then all of a sudden Alex rips his face open. It's a snake man reveal only <laughs> to show Blair in bed with his wife and Blair has died of course, in his dream. So he's also died in real life. Yeah. 
And uh, that I think that was uh, the only part of the movie that scared 11 year old me was when uh, Dennis Quaid had like ripped his face in half to reveal that he was the snake monster. Oh, interesting. So it's a new day and Kate and Alex are getting ready to head to Louisville by train. Uh, 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 Dr. DeVry, I'm sorry, Kate Capshaw's character. Dr. <laughs> DeVry makes mention that he looks like he didn't sleep too well. And um, they are questioning, he questions whether or not it's going to be as good as a dream. And uh, she feels like it will lead uh, live up to every all the hype. Mm-hmm. Um, freakish enough, this, it's the same conductor as the dream. And right. we get cheesy music playing as the train pulls away. And that made me wonder if, um, you know, that it gives you that whole existentialism kind of thing where it's like, are they in a dream or is it real life? You know, is, is it real or is it, is it live or is it Memorex? You know? So I think the fact that he was, no, I was going to say the fact that he was psychic, maybe he knew what the conductor would look like. So was he manipulating her dream? By making the conductor look oh, like the same conductor. Nice. You know, I never even made that connection. Okay. It could be. Maybe. I don't know. Because if, yeah, he was in the dream at that time when the conductor came in to take the tickets. So yeah, that is possible. Maybe that was it. Maybe it's just his psychicness going all over the place. <laughs> that's that's interesting. Because he, is the, he is the dream master now. <laughs> he is the dream master. <laughs> I mean, I think Mr. Kruger would beg to uh, argue that. Oh, I know, right? I, I'd like to see yeah. not Freddy versus Jason, but Freddy versus Alex. <laughs> <laughs> so what would the other like 95 minutes be? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's where Jason comes in and then they have a, a big call. I see, I see. <laughs> so the first so, few minutes is just like Freddy versus Alex. <laughs> exactly. So Rob, this time around, did you enjoy it? I did, but unfortunately, not as much as I did when I was younger. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. And would you recommend it to fans of the Midnight Mass Creature cast? Ooh, that's tough. Um, I would recommend it to sci-fi nerds, like if you listen to this show, because mm-hmm. it's not heavy on the creatures, really. It's more of a 80s kind of sci-fi so I would say with that, bearing that in mind, if you're looking for that, this wouldn't be my very first recommend. I would just kind of throw it in there with something like if you're going to make a night of it, of like Robocop and um, Buckaroo Banzai, you know, things like that. I, I would watch those first and kind of put this in the middle and then have something after it. Okay. All right. Now, interestingly, interestingly enough, it does not have the sci-fi tag as far as what it's uh, grouped as you get action adventure or horror, but there's no sci-fi to it whatsoever. It should totally be sci-fi because there's, it's very extremely light on the horror. It's, it's not even, it's almost non-existent, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now I found it very entertaining. Um, it was a clever story. I hope that people who have listened to it, have already seen it. I hope you didn't listen and then go back and watch it because I think it will ruin the fun of it. Um, yeah. Cause we already spoiled everything for you. Yeah. 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 It's pretty predictable. It didn't go any directions that you wouldn't have seen coming. Um, honestly, I think it would have made a kind of interesting TV show. Uh, a like TV series. Ser- yeah. TV series. Yeah. Like, ta- like they you did with time cop. You could have done a lot with that. Mm-hmm. Um, now recommending it to, 
creature feature fans. The snake monster is really the only creature I think that you really get in the whole movie. So if you want to see a cool creature, it does have that whole Ray Harryhausen stop motion thing going for it, which is kind of fun. Um, Scary. If you're a kid and the only thing is, so if you're a kid, I don't think this would hold your interest. I think it would be like, and I'm talking like a little kid. I think it'd be way above your, uh, your, uh, what's the word I want? Like, um, like your level. Like, I think they would be talking about stuff that like, it would be out of your grasp of comprehension. Yeah. Um, Cause they're talking about like conspiracies and like, you know, uh, killing the president and stuff like that. I think that would be out of your grasp. And so if you just walked in and caught the snake monster, it'd probably give you the hibbity-jibbities for a long time. Um, <laughs> but then the rest of it, I think would just bore you to tears. Right. Not that it's a boring film, but for a seven-year-old, I think it would be excruciating <laughs> to sit through. Well, um, even for like when I saw this, I was 11 maybe, and there was still a lot of stuff that went over my head. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's a, and it's an interesting story. I love Joseph Rubin. Um, there are other films I would watch of his before this one. Like I love the good son. I love the stepfather. Um, I would watch this before sleeping with the enemy. Um, but this was fun. Uh, but if you're looking for a straight up horror movie, you are going to be disappointed. Yeah. For you're, sure. you're not going to find that here. Yeah. But it's an entertaining film. It's not, it's not garbage by any stretch of the imagination. It's very well made. Um, it's got a great cast. Oh my gosh. The cast is phenomenal. Yeah. Um, I mean, I agree. It's a, it's a very fun kind of nostalgia trip back to the eighties, but it's nothing like what I remember as a kid. And of course, like my mind was completely different back then. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's not a, I mean, it is listed as horror to me. It has horror, horrific imagery. Mm -hmm. It's not a horror movie per se. Yeah. It's like with the, um, what was that? The morning after kind of vibes where, you know, the nuclear, nuclear winter kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, But even that's super light here, folks. Oh yeah. I guess you do have zombies. I guess you got those zombies thrown into. Yeah. Very briefly too. Yeah. It's all, none of it folks is like, uh, super heavy on the horror gore kind of stuff at all. Um, but yeah, it's a fun film. It's definitely an entertaining watch for sure. It would have to be like stuck in between things. Like I would say you you bookend it with something like one at the beginning, throw that in the middle and then have like a little palate cleanser at the end, you know? See, I would do it. Now, this is just me. Uh, I'm not saying you're wrong and I'm right. I'm saying the way I would do things, this would be the lead in and you would get progressively more extreme. So I would do this one. What was your other one? I know RoboCop. What was the other one? RoboCop, Buckaroo Bonsai. Okay, so I would probably do see it's between this one first and then buckaroo because buckaroo bonsai is incredibly silly mm-hmm. um but it's like got tons of like sci-fi monster action you know like a bunch of yeah heavy but the robocop is pretty darn heavy and dark <laughs> yeah <that's true. laughs> robocop would definitely to me would definitely be the finale uh, of the of the triple feature okay yeah that's how i would do it i was yeah. just thinking like a full-on sci-fi you know type things where right 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 yeah 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 but yeah. i i can understand it being the opening act you know you, you yeah. don't put your front runners like a, i mean you don't put your best first like you you kind of lead up to it yeah but it's not bad i do not want people to think it's a bad movie 
I want people to know what they're getting into. Right. Um, yeah. It's yeah. not, it doesn't suck. It's not a terrible movie. It's just like, if you're listening to this show and like all the things that we've covered, it's uh, kind of like along the lines of Howard the Duck, but less silly. Right. Yeah. 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 You're not getting a, uh, a, a gore fest here. You're not getting, uh, you're not going to be, you know, so scared. You have to sleep with the lights on, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. Yeah. You're not even getting butt. <laughs> no, no butts. No. So, um, well, I think we've covered dreamscape. Do you feel, do you have anything else you want to say? No, I think we've, uh, beaten this horse into the ground. All right. All right. So that means that you should be shining up your leather gear because the next time we meet, we're going to be dealing with the people underneath the, the people under the stairs from 1991. That's Wes Craven. Oh yeah. We're back to Wes Craven territory. And that was a, uh, a listener of the show's, uh, input if i'm not mistaken uh, no, that was actually my host from old guy metalcast he was like you guys should really talk about people under the stairs there we go and that <laughs> will be happening next next uh, time we meet so this one's for you jim there you go and then um if you'd like to reach us uh you know constructive criticism kind words uh nude photos, nude photos. i'm at instagram <laughs> at midnight mass creature cast that's right and uh oh <clears throat> Okay, I'm going to have to remember <laughs> this part where I cough. Um, and also, we can be found on Gmail at mmccpod at gmail.com. All right. And even though this was not a horror movie per se, we still appreciate you joining us because still, the more the scarier. Absolutely. It's always. And until next time, we hope that you stay spooky. Spooky.